everybody. You got to pose in a matrix here. You got Dave and Jim tonight. Eric's going to take some time off, I do believe. Um, so, uh, Jim, how you been? I'm doing great. How about you? <laughs> okay. Busy I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you know, I, Michigan's pretty much in a lockdown. Of course, too many people are ignoring that, but but we are. Here yeah. I am live from downtown Detroit metropolitan area. <laughs> uh, they keep telling me I'm essential personnel and I have to show up, so I'm there. <laughs> but uh, hmm. they did uh, make a provision. The union worked out a deal that if we do come down with it, they, they're going to pay us for the time that we miss, so. Uh, which is pretty nice of them seeing that they're making us go in there and work. So, yeah, yeah. So that's a good thing. So um, tonight, folks, we're going to have a, a couple different sub, uh, matters of uh, discussion. Uh, the first one, we're going to be talking about our testimonies. We're going to be talking about prophecy, the uh, gift of prophecy. Maybe we should say the office of prophecy or uh, yeah. prophet. And, um, also, if we get a chance, we're going to go into uh, uh, adrenochrome and uh, some of the other things that the um, the elite are doing. Uh, you're going. How are these two things tied in together? Well, you know, when when um, I know. A, person, a person prophesies, right, Jim? They yeah. they uh, one of the one of the um, one of the indications that you're a, you're a true prophet is that things come to pass. Well, if you prophesy about something and you can find things that back up what you're prophesying about, um, you know, there, there's that. And also there's confirmation from the Lord and other things too. So, um, anyway, the, I, my, myself, I think that there's a correlation between prophecy and, and some of the research that we do. Um, it just, it's just kind of like, uh, and I was reminded of uh, just a minute ago of, um, when uh, Jeremiah told um, Jerusalem, you know, uh, I think it was Jeremiah, um, that they think it was the armies of Babylon. It might have been the Assyrians. I think I'm getting my times mixed up. They had uh, surrounded the city, and uh, the prophets said, don't worry about this. It's going to be okay. Well, you know, they didn't believe it. And, uh, well, the evidence was that the next morning that uh, – all the Syrian soldiers were dead. That was the answer to the prophecy. Um, so you you can get either immediate answers or you can get long-term answers, and I think we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, so, Jim, why don't you go ahead and, and, and uh, take the ball and, and run with it? All right. Well, you know, uh, briefly, you know, we, we're going to be talking about our personal testimonies. First, leading the events leading up to how we got saved, and then the events leading up to how we understood or came into the full gospel experience. But we're going to include a lot of different things tonight, a lot of practical things, getting through the pandemic uh, uh, whole situation here, uh, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and some politically incorrect and conspiratorial things too. So um, we're going to include it all tonight. We're going to wrap it in and see how it all fits together as a package. And I think one of the most important things is that, that many people are who are upset unsure oh my gosh if they have martial law are we going to need more ammo are they going to do i mean even some highly respected people that i like chuck norris for one of them is wrote a a a thing and he's really concerned with oh my gosh you know what if the rioting breaks out and all this happens and are we going to be prepared and you know what all these people have in common 
whether they're Christian or not, and especially if they do confess that they're Christian, have you bothered to tap in to what the church is being told by God through his prophets, through his people that have a prophetic gifting? If you, everybody that's uptight has not been paying attention. That's you probably don't know who Mark Taylor is. You probably don't know who Kim Clement is. Guess what? And or even David Wilkerson. These are many of the tried and true prophets who have received understanding from God what's going on. And if you're not tapping into that, you're not listening. You're paying too much to on television or CDC, <laughs> their map. Uh, yeah, boy, we right. got some stuff to talk about that one later on tonight, too. Um, you're getting too much from the world and not enough from the word of God. God is speaking by his through it, through his spirit, by his spirit, through his spirit to his people. And his people have equipped us to not fear, to know exactly what's going on, why it's going on and how it's going on. If all these people are confused, it's because you're not tapping in. You might even know these names, but you didn't actually spend the time to watch the whole story of Mark Taylor or listen to some of the many prophets, uh, prophecies of um, Kim Clement. Now, I, I got to admit, you know, I, I'm kind of a reserved, more uh, type of Pentecostal. So when I first heard him singing it out as a song, it was kind of weird to me. But this guy's been accurate since 1999. He has very specific prophecies about Trump. In 1999. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. You know, stuff that couldn't even have possibly happened back in his day. And I imagine he took the brunt of, you know, being a weirdo or whatever. Sometimes you got to wait for these things. So anyways, with that, we are going to get into what I call quantum um, nostalgia. And that means that quantum is the smallest little particle uh, called a quirk. But associated to us in our lives Quantum is the every minute little detail of our lives. And in nostalgia means a bittersweet reflection of looking back. Bittersweet meaning the good and the bad. So you look at the good and the bad of every element of your life, and you're going to find out that that is, who, that is what made you who you are today. And if who you are today is excited about engaging the powers of darkness in these last of the last days, or you've already engaged and you're tired and you're ready to go home. One or the other might be the will of God for you in your life. Yeah. And if you, especially if you feel like you're a warrior and you're supposed to fight this out, I got good scriptural news. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. So this is going to be an exciting year. And this coronavirus is just a catalyst to bring about all the rest of the things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Who and when, that's where we're going to have to pay patience and just wait. I don't even know. I got little snapshots. Of events that I know they're going to happen, but I don't know when they're going to happen, and I don't know how they're going to tie into one another, each other, just that I know that they're going to happen. And so, like you and everyone else, we just have to be patient and wait. Wait upon the Lord, and our dependency is upon Him. But His prophets, the people of the prophetic gifting, has given us enough clear direction and understanding. We just need to tap ourselves into it and be exposed to it and listen to it. So I'm hoping after the program, everybody's going to go running to um, Amazon Prime and watch the testimony. Just type it in, Mark Taylor Prophecies. It's there. It shows it up. And boom, it's free. You can watch it there if you've got uh, Prime. And if it isn't, it's worth investing money so you can watch it and listen to it. And I think it's like $3 to rent it for the night. Mm -hmm. um, it's worth it, everybody. It really is. So with that, 
Um, now the ball's in your court, Dave. You want to go ahead and give your uh, give your testimony. You know, just what made you you to finally come to salvation? Oh boy, boy, is that <laughs> that's a long story. I'll try to encapsulate as much as I can. Um, Please, uh, so am I. <laughs> I. I'm going. I'm going to give the quick, short version, but essential. So, Lord, we just pray that you'll help Dave to uh, just lead him on his testimony. What you want everybody to know about well, who he is and how he found you. Yeah. Well, this and, started. This started. Um, you know, I. Everybody knows I have Jewish roots, but I didn't practice. I wasn't a practicing Jew when I was growing up. My mother was a. A pres not a Presbyterian. We were talking about that earlier. An Episcopalian, and basically, it's a it's a it's a religion that's uh, Catholic without the Pope. Basically, um, they have priests and everything else, and and brought us in there and, and sent us to Sunday school. And uh, it, you know, I I think that uh, it was quite tedious and boring, <clears throat> which is why I didn't continue with it very often. Um, I, I did become confirmed, and I did uh, I did do my uh, I don't even know what it's called anymore. Uh, you go through confirmation and then you uh, you receive your first communion and everything else. But anyway, um, I wasn't interested in that. I was more interested in a bazaar and the, not the macabre, but uh, more like UFOs and um, an outer space and everything like that. <clears throat> that interested me. And because um, my dad was pretty steeped in that, too. So, um, you know, I, a lot of little boys want to be like their dad, so we got I got into that basically. So anyway, um, but when I walked away from the dead church, even though it was dead, it was there was still something about Jesus there that I walked away from, and <clears throat> and so when you walk away from the light, you walk towards the darkness, and the darkness included a you know four or five years of drugs and and alcohol and. Um, you know, not, not not heroin or anything, but some pretty strong drugs. And uh, well, anyway, um, I, I was always searching for the truth. I was I was always looking for you know who is God or what is God back then. You know, <clears throat> and um, I looked into the writings of Ruth Montgomery and and uh, all the New Age uh, prophetesses and and things like that. And um, that kind of satisfied me because it told me there was no hell and everybody was going to heaven. Hey, you know, I can do whatever I want to and I can go to heaven. Well, you know, the Lord had other plans for me um, and convinced me that that wasn't right. So I, <clears throat> I started to search and I think the defining moment of uh, me turning around and looking in the right direction, um, I, I um, had very bad eyes. I was uh, very nearsighted when I was young and, I had Coke bottle bottom glasses and um, was very conscious of it. And, you know, having a mother that thinking that it was her fault didn't help me either. So uh, one day um, while I was searching, uh, she told me, she brought me to an assembly God service where they were going to have a healer. And I'll tell you, Jim, that was the last place I wanted to be. <clears throat> the very last place on earth I wanted to be. But, you know, you, when even when you're young and you're rebellious, you, you want to help your mother out and make her feel like she's doing something to help you. Uh, so I went and, uh, you know, I was tapping my foot and wanted to just bolt out the door, but I resisted that and stayed. Well, they they waited for the end to have the, the healing service and they called us all up front. And I said, well, I'm going to sit right at the beginning. That way he'll do me and I'll get out of here. Well, the Lord has a good sense of humor. Uh, he started at the other end. 
the healer did. <laughs> and so my the whole time my heart was beating. I mean, it was, I, I didn't take my pulse, but I would imagine it was probably about 150 or 160. And there was no reason for it to be that way except for fear. And um, when this man came up to me and he put his hand on my head, that fear just left. And I felt a peace like I'd never felt before. And that was real interesting. That was something that really got my attention. I'm like, well, I like this. I want more of this. This is better than all the drugs I've ever taken. And uh, so I started looking into uh, reading books. Uh, I had a friend uh, out in California at the time who was uh, had his father had told me about Matthew 24. And that book, had, uh, that chapter of Matthew had always interested me. And I kept reading that. And I started getting into more prophecy. And... Um, that I picked up one day, and I don't remember where I picked it up or if even somebody gave it to me, but it was a book by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth. And I read that, and boy, did that, it, it just everything clicked. Uh, because I had read Matthew 24 many, 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 many times, and um, and this book was basically uh, kind of uh, a primer, or Matthew 24 was a primer for this book, one or the other. And... Um, so I started to look into it, and, and at the end, if I'm not mistaken, Hal Lindsey gives an invitation to come to faith. Well, I didn't yes. take that right away. Yeah. I didn't take it right away because I was a little suspicious still. I'm, I'm a person that needs to see things um, more than I need to have faith, or I used to be anyway. Well, things had soured. You know, I'd, I came back from New Jersey and back to California, and my dad was really getting on my case about stuff. and. And I was about at the end of my rope, and uh, I had another friend that used to tell me about Jesus all the time. He used to get high and tell us about Jesus, which was, um, I don't know if he got more out of that or, or if we got more out of it. But um, So anyway, he, uh, I asked him again, I said, what do I have to do? And so we took a ride to a neighboring town about 10 miles away, and um, uh, under my breath, I just asked the Lord to come into my heart. And I said, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what I've been doing wrong. I said, but everything I tried hasn't worked. I need you to work my life out for me. I need you to, to be the Lord of my life because I can't do it. I mess it up, and other people seem to mess it up. So you, here, you do it. You try. And uh, I didn't have one of those aha moments. I didn't have the angels singing around me. Um, you know, it, it was a slow process. But And I wondered many times, you know, what what's going on here? You know, what? I, I don't see a difference. Well, I guess there was a difference because other people noticed it. And, uh, well, and two things that were evidence of that. Um, one thing was I, I used to like horticulture, so I was out trimming some rose bushes, and I pricked my finger with one of the thorns of the rose bush. And prior to that, I probably would have punched a trailer. We lived in a mobile home. I probably would have punched a trailer a couple of times and kicked it and used a lot of profanity. And I just looked at my finger and went, gosh darn it. And I thought about it for a second. I went, wait, what am I saying? Gosh darn it, I've never said that before. You know, and I'm like, wow, this is neat. I guess I am changing. Well, a couple of weeks later, my dad walked up to me. My dad was an antagonist. He was a he was a son of a gun to grow up under. And he used to try to provoke me, and, and we'd get into these fights. Not physical, mostly verbal. And uh, I started reading the Bible in the meantime. And so anyway, he, he walked up one day and he goes, he says, what's what's the matter with you? And I said, oh, what do you mean what's the matter with me? And he says, well, I've I've tried to pick fights with you and you just don't go for it anymore. You just just walk away, you know, and, and I want to know what's going on. And I said, well, you know, I came to faith in, in Jesus. I asked him into my heart and I think I'm changing. 
you know, and well, I, I think it was not even two weeks. My dad was down at the uh, the Assembly of God Church giving his life to the Lord in front of the church <laughs> because he, he liked what he saw. Praise God. So anyway, you know, and you, we talk about prophecy, and I'm, I'm getting close to the end here, I promise. Um, I did a whole bunch of things when I was a first a believer. I, I wanted to know what my, my mission was because I know that I never felt that you should just sit in church and do nothing. I mean, I enjoyed that. But I, I, I'm the kind of person that I just can't sit around. I always have to contribute. I always have to be doing something. I can't sit idle. And um, so yeah, I, I tried teaching Sunday school, and I was successful at it, except I think I was a little too successful because I think that some of the parents um, saw that I was um, I, w- I was teaching the kids, and they were learning, first of all. But um, they, they started to confide in me about some of the things that were happening with, at home with Mommy and Daddy. And uh, we prayed about those things, and I think that that was found out. And um, I was asked to, politely asked to just go sit in a congregation for a while let somebody else take over. And that happened twice, by the way. Um, I tried singles, singles ministry. I was really, uh, really good at that. And I went in there to be a minister and single. I didn't go in there to pick somebody up. Uh, a lot of people tried to turn it into a meat market, and I don't mean M-E-E-T. Um, and and they were successful at doing that, but I, and that always just kind of really rebuffed me and turned me turned my stomach. But um, so that didn't work. And we had a moving ministry at one time where we would move the church to a community center because we were too big for the church anymore. But um, those things just didn't work. And one day I, I just Lord, these things aren't working. What do you want me to do? You know, I just don't understand. I really don't want to be a preacher. I don't feel called to be that. I don't feel called to be an evangelist. I I don't know. And uh, it's probably two or three months goes by. And I had a dream where the Lord told me, I'm giving you the mantle of um, Jeremiah. And I'm like, okay, first of all, what's a mantle? To me, a mantle is something that's above the fireplace. You know, you put candles on it or pictures or figurines. So I had to look that up. And it meant basically the, um, the ministry of. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So I started reading about Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah didn't have a great life. And I'm like, oh, great. Of all the church offices that, and, and, and gifts that you could give me, you give me the one that is going to get me ridiculed, is going to get me, you know, spat on and everything else, um, just like Jeremiah did. And um, thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> well, anyway, I was grateful, you know, don't get me wrong, but uh, I knew that it was going to be a rough road. And it has been. Trust me, it's been a very rough road, but it's been a very re- rewarding road, too, at the same time. So basically, in a nutshell, that's that's what kind of led up to it. I, I mean, there's a myriad of things that I left out that would probably connect the dots a little better, but we don't have that time. So um, I will I will turn over the uh, gavel to you, Mr. Jim. Oh, man, you did it so short. I don't know if I can do it that short. I'll, I'll, well, you I'll told it... me to. I know, but not that short. <laughs> Golly, you didn't do a half hour, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'll try my best. I'm sorry. Man, I'm going to have to give a really super-duper condensed version here. Well, with me, it, it goes it goes back to, well, I grew up in a community. Uh, it, was, it was in Livonia in Michigan. And Livonia at that time was like out in the boondocks, the end of civilization. I lived on a dirt road. There was an old country windmill at the end of our subdivision. Our subdivision was made in the uh, 
40s, right after the war, most of the people were working at Ford Motor Company, but it was kind of country-like. We were all stretched out. I lived on a three-quarter acre uh, urban farmland. Um, it's still zoned that way today, but it's far from looking like anything country. Um, I grew up, uh, we had a horse riding stable not too far away. I grew up riding a horse before I knew how to ride a Harley. Um, so I was, I had that country setting and I was used to being out in the country, but yet my grandparents who babysat me half my life. So I spent half my life there. It was only four miles down the road, but it was on the other side of Telegraph in a neighborhood called Brightmore in Detroit. Brightmore was the hood. And back then it was a hillbilly hood. It was mostly people come from Kentucky and Pennsylvania to work in the auto shops auto factories. Um, it wasn't actually a part of the city of Detroit, so it had no zoning ordinances or anything. Most of them were sharecroppers or lived on sharecropper type, you know, places up in the uh, mountains. And so their community was the same way. Um, the house next door to my grandparents didn't even have, they had an outhouse. <laughs> and it was a shack, a one room shack with eight people living in it. So, I mean, that's the name, the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. Um, so I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the country. I got a little of both. There was an important reason for that because that was going to reflect later on what kind of ministry I would be in and involved in. So it was really kind of cool growing up, especially during the Detroit riots when uh, things really went kind of crazy and, and uh, you know, the neighborhood changed overnight. Literally, it was just with the white flight and everything, but it still remained the hood. It was just a very, very, it went from bad to really, really bad. Um now working in the inner city, when people find out that I, I pastored a ministry uh, 10 years in Brightmore, that I grew up in Brightmore, I got a whole new level of respect. And they said, well, well, you know what the hood's all about. Yeah, I sure do. But I also know what the country's about. It's great. I love having both. I used to hide one from the other because I was embarrassed, you know, of one from the other. Because I was like the, the, the hand that never fit into the right shoe or glove. You know, I always looked at it as being like an outsider. But... Anyways, jumping up now from that, um, that kind of that kind of shows how I went. But now I went from a nerdy geek who, you know, after I, when I was 12 years old, I was reading all the little golden books on on different things, and that got to be a bit much. I wanted more, so I'd go to a library then, and I started reading books. I didn't know it, but at, at about 14 years old, I had read college textbooks on anthropology, geology, paleontology. Um, all kinds of stuff, you know, and I, so I was kind of a, a real geek. People used to make fun of me and say, you talk funny. How come you talk, you know, weird stuff like that and everything? So I learned to kind of hide that because that got me picked on and, and bullied. Now, when the neighborhood changed and, and my neighborhood became more upscale, all of a sudden, and it was all business and professional people that moved into Livonia, um, all of a sudden I had more common with those kids. And so it was kind of neat. I could geek out with some of these kids because they liked microscopes and telescopes and, and things of science and everything. But then as I got older, their parents would tell me, look, he's from Dutch Mill Farms. I don't want you hanging around with, with him. It's going to be a bad influence on you. And I remember one time I wanted to date my one friend's uh, girl. We just were going to go to a movie. Um, and, the parents brought me into the room and they said, um, we're sorry, we can't allow you to do that. You're coming from a neighborhood where you're probably going to stay um, an auto worker someday. And we've got higher expectations for our daughter. So um, we don't want you going. We're forbidding you to go out with her. I'm thinking, geez, I just wanted to go to a movie. I'm not asking to marry her. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the way I was treated. So I got to understand a whole different level of persecution from class distinction. And it took a long time for me to not hate rich people, even carried over into my Christian experience until I met wonderful Christian people who were rich, who were uh, very generous. That changed my attitude. But that was a, a, a hindering part in, in my own self. So when it came time, uh, the Vietnam War became a scene that was we were all faced with. Uh, my best friend was a door gunner in a helicopter. He went to Vietnam and, uh, during the Tet Offensive, and one day, one day they're fighting these guys called the North Vietnamese with a, um, you know, with a wearing a brown uniform and wearing a red star and a hat. The next day, anybody wearing a blue smock is their enemy, whether it be a 16-year-old kid, an old man, or a woman, or even, you know, anybody. So all of a sudden, now we're fighting a general population, uh, you know, in, in Vietnam. I just knew from my motorcycling experience because, yep, I went from geek to freak, I guess you might say. I, I ended up at, at 16, 17. I got my first motorcycle. Um, the next year I went ahead and got a Harley Chopper. I was, I looked, I had dark facial hair and I looked a lot older than I did. The next thing you know, I'm running around, uh, in Detroit, uh, riding in an outlaw style, outlaw style motorcycle club. Um, on the west side and uh, packing a 45, a little guy with a major attitude. And how in the heck did I jump from one thing to the other? I don't know, but it, it happened. And even that happened for ultimate purpose and reason. So I became involved in a motorcycle club uh, and I stayed in it until I was not part of, but I witnessed the murder and being a probationary, I had to clean up the mess and everything. And our little Guthrie song, I don't want to, I don't want to pickle. I just want to ride a motorcycle was the number one song at that year. <laughs> and I took that to heart and I said, I'm out of here. That, that's it. My mom and dad raised me too good to be this way. And my parents were wonderful people. My dad was a football baseball coach. He got involved with the kids' lives. Um, they were everybody's mom and dad, and yet they had so much love to give my brother and I. We never even competed with one another on peer pressure or anything. Matter of fact, when we got into high school and found out how brothers and uh, sisters treated each other, we were it was kind of traumatic for us. We had so much love in my house that my brother and I were, were our best friends, even though we were polar opposites in what we did and what we liked. Um, kids would come over to my house. They didn't come to visit my brother or I. They came to talk to my mom and dad. We didn't get threatened or feel anything about it. We were we were thinking, man, how lucky we are that everybody loves our mom and dad so much. They want to be, uh, they want help from them too. So we thought it was just a blessing. So that's and so when I received God's love, it was easy for me to receive it because I had grown up in a house that was so full of love. Um, so, anyways, all of that helped shape and form and mold me. But you know what I. <laughs> I was probably, and I'm going to make this part real short. I was probably the only guy that ended up joining Delta Force, not realizing I'd really joined it because that was a con job that the recruiter got me into, but he, he knew what he was doing. But I ended up, I ended up being a, the only uh, Delta Force member that had combat experience before he got into the service. Mm. Um, and that was something of a unique experience for me. I was used to being a first responder. Now, I didn't do all the gung-ho crazy stuff, and I never met uh, Chuck Norris because that was the guys that were either in air cav or um, airborne. They had to jump out of a plane or they had to repel out of a helicopter. Had I had to do that, I would have washed up right then and there and not done it. Me and Hype never agreed with each other too much. But uh, fortunately, all I, I was in the rear 
with the gear because I was artillery. I was in missiles. I was could only be assigned to a strategic air command base, a SAC base, and that's where I was. So they considered that artillery, so I was in the rear. So I had to learn everything that they knew, but I didn't have to actually go and do it, um, which is probably good on my part um, for that time. But I learned how to be a first responder. Now, in October 19th, 19, uh 1970 is the day I should have died. I have no excuse or reason to know why I'm alive. I had a contract out on me. I survived it. Um, it was kind of a crazy, weird relationship. The the head guy that was in my unit had a motorcycle, didn't know how to work on it. I knew how to work on it. So I fixed it. He gave me free marijuana, which I, you know, was a, uh, had a great affinity for back then. Now, my mother was a horticulturalist. My father was a an ex-Navy um, uh, CB in, in World War II. Mm-hmm. They were building and they were they would they would land, build an airstrip before they actually con, uh, had the the island secured, and then they were building an airstrip so they could get uh, planes in there so they could secure the island. So he had to go to Navy training and then he had to go to Marine training. He was a little bit of both. So from him, I learned how to build anything and everything. It was awesome. Um, he just taught us all kinds of stuff. And he was quite a, a builder himself from, from that background. That helped me when I was in the military. I won favor to a lot of the people in my unit. They thought it was pretty cool that this hippie biker from Detroit knew how to make his own gunpowder, make his own bombs, um, actually know how to uh, fuse them with a delayed fuse. And he could pick out a spot when we were playing war and get the perfect spot, hide everything uh, as good as any of the frontline guys. So they had a respect for me. My problem is that one of my roommates, when we were on training one time, was going to turn in our arming device to the missile to a potential enemy from, I don't know, probably from Mexico or Honduras or something. And uh, I tried to talk sense to him. He wouldn't listen. So I busted him. I turned him in. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you're, you're a traitor, man. You know, you're gonna, right. they're probably going to kill you. You're not going to live to see another day. You're not going to get what they promised. But even if they didn't, you're a traitor. You're going to actually sell us out. I might have been a mixed up kid on drugs, but I was even a conservative back even in those days. I always was a conservative. Um, no, I wasn't going to let this happen. So I went in to get debriefed in this vault with all the top brass and everything. And they want to know where I, I knew where he hid uh, a little book that had all the contacts that he had made and everything. So I told him where, when and all, all this stuff. Um, unfortunately, one of my customers was in um security and they saw me go into this vault with all the top brass two weeks later the guy that i worked for and traded the drugs he got caught huh. they blamed me as being the narc oh, they would come up to me they said you know october 19th you better make preparation with the man because you're dead man you huh. you narc i said no i didn't i thought you know they're, they're my friends are just messing with me they don't really mean that and i wasn't making a connection until we went out one day, and that's when I realized everybody in the room, the one sergeant, he lived off post out in the Everglades. We went there to party all the time, so it was no big deal. I went. Then when I looked at everybody in the room, I'm going, oh, my God. These are these are guys that, you know, in my unit that, you know, I'm, I've been there five months. What do I really know compared to these guys? One guy was in there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all key people. I go, oh, my God, they're going to kill me. They really meant it. So I faked out, you know, I said, you know, I need to get a pack of cigarettes. And it was a cigarette machine outside. So I went outside. I leaned over. 
because they sent me a guy with me. So I leaned over to get the cigarettes and I put my um, elbow in his solar plexus, knocked him right off the ground. I knew the general direction of, of where the base was. And I started running towards it. I got to a clearing and I got to thinking, man, if this clearing, if anybody's going to jump me, it's going to be right here. And sure as heck, somebody shot with a shotgun. It was a second growing season in Florida then in November. So the all of the places that were filled with alligators and stuff were dry. So I dove into the ditch. The first thing I did, I, I literally peed my pants. Then I cried out, Mama. I heard that people are about to die. They kind of go through this series. And then I said, oh, God, help me. And I passed out. I woke up. The whole night had gone through. The moan had started coming up on one horizon. When I woke up, I was on the other horizon. And I'm wondering, my God, how am I still alive? I've seen, you know, I mean, we're all trained to double tap. In other words, you, once you have a firefight, you go up to them and put a round in the back of their neck into their head so that they make sure that they're dead. They didn't do that to me. These guys are trained. They know how to. Why didn't they do that? I, I'm just going, man, I don't know. But, okay, I, I know how to navigate from the stars, from having my telescope. Okay, I know where to go. I'll go in that direction. I'll get to the uh, to the highway. But if they catch me, I'm dead. So I'm hitchhiking. These two gals pick me up. Now, i got to back up. A few months before I enlisted in the service, there was this young gal. She was um, in Livonia. She was safe. I worked at a gas station just less about a quarter mile down the road. She was on a Ducati, and it broke down. So I convinced her to – now, here I am. You know, I'm still riding in a club wearing the colors, and I'm on a 1946 knucklehead Harley Chopper. Not the kind of person at 12 o'clock at night you would want to get a ride from. But I, she was a biker, and I was, so I can kind of vince her, just hide it behind this tree, quarter mile down the road. There's a telephone booth. You know, you can call your um, husband, and he can pick you up. So she did. I, I went, and the guy ended up being a president of a big club. He wanted to give me an honorary member. And I said, no, I'm going to be wearing OD green in a couple of months anyway. So it doesn't matter. So backing up to date, I'm hitchhiking on the, on Palmetto expressway back to the base. And I'm really nervous about who's going to pick me up. And I've been through the swamp and I'm stinky and wet and just not a person. Anybody's going to want to pick up anyway. And these two gals pick me up and she keeps looking at me and back and she keeps looking, and she says, Where you? so you're in the military, right? Because nobody wore short hair back then, obviously. I said, yeah, I am. And she said, where are you from? I said, well, no place you ever heard of, probably. And she said, no, try it. I said, Livonia, Michigan. And then she looked in shock, and she says, oh, my God, you're him. You're him. She says, we were just talking about you. I was telling you how you had picked me up. I said, oh, my God, you had a Ducati, didn't you? And it was a night two months ago. No, at that time, it was like six months ago. And she says, yeah, that was me. I, I said, oh, thank God. I said, you know, I really need to get a ride home to the base. Honey, wherever you want to go, I'll take you right to the doorstep. So I got a safe passage right into the base. We had this old drunk guy. He used to get dr old drunk guy. You know, I'm I'm 19, so a 32-year-old is an old drunk guy, right? Right. He used to get right. drunk and he used to say, oh, I used to be a hitman for the syndicate. And this is, the base was right outside of Miami-Dade, Florida. So, um I told him what happened. He knew about this other story a little bit about, you know, our one friend that was going to be a traitor. So he knew a little about that. He says, you stay on the base. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. You know, it might take me a couple of days, but I'll be back. Don't go off base or you're dead. Just just stay here. And uh, so he come back and he says, OK, everything's taken care of. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, no, it's, it's all taken care of. I said, no, I, I don't know what you mean. He says, well, I explained to everybody what happened. And you, your buddy tipped off people that were watching him. And it caused them to be um, exposed, and they're really ticked off at him. He says, uh, uh, your buddy's going to have an accident. 
this uh, Sunday. Oh. And I said, well, wait a minute. No, I don't want to be responsible for running his death. I'll take my chances. He says, no, you don't understand. Once a contract has uh, gone out, somebody's going to die. And in your case, your friend's going to die because he's goofed up and they're not happy about it. Right. So he's going to have an accident Sunday. You're okay. You don't have to worry about anything more. They all understand what's going on. You're okay. Mm-hmm. So that Sunday, he was hit and run motorcycle on his motorcycle out in the Everglades, decapitated. Huh. Nobody knew what happened. I did. Huh. Um, I huh. knew right then and there that somehow there was a God and he had a plan for my life and I didn't know what. Now, when the CID and the FBI came in to do shakedown, they not only found the book, but they found my stash. Uh-huh. See, I was, I, because my mom's hobby was, um, irises, and I used to watch how she would hybridize one, one species to another and make a combination of them. And my dad, being that he raised, raised on a farm, I already knew how to grow crops and everything. He gave me all those little secrets, you know, that farmers know and everything. Uh-huh. And so I grew my own crop. I took the best of, uh, Colombian gold and the best of uh, Panama red, which were the two strongest weeds at that time. Yeah, they were. And I hybridized them together and made Everglade green, a combination of the best. Huh. And I grew it of all places. I grew least, least suspected was the most, the most obvious would be least suspected. 19 years old. I cleared out a little area on the missile tax site where we were located out in the Everglades and grew my crop right there. Didn't have to take uh-huh. care of it. All I just had to do was hide it. Right. And then I, you know, and it was enough to just for myself. I didn't sell it to make, you know, big money. I just perpetuating my own habit. But, um, oh, some of the stupid things, you know, just so mismotivated. So it's comical, actually. I'm writing, I'm writing an autobiography. It's called, um, uh, let's see, from Harley Choppers to Aliens and Saucers, what a long, strange, rewarding life it's been. And it has been to go from one thing to another. It's just so crazy. But it defines, you know, my life defined what I would eventually, you know, be doing. So I got busted, and usually when you get busted from Delta Force, they send you right over to Vietnam to be, you know, uh, cannon fodder. But in my case, I had one favor with all of them. They wanted to have the best for me. They, on on one hand, you know, I had I had conflicting information about who I really was, but they saw that I had a great potential. So they said, "Look, we're going to let you out with an honorable dis- uh, honorable uh, a general under honorable condition." Uh, discharge you just make a promise to us that you're going to do something with your life get off the drugs get off the lifestyle and go to college here's your benefits so and i did that i went i got out i went right to college i started seeking you know some purpose in life and i would look at anything and everything except the bible except jesus Uh so i mean i got into all kinds of existential garbage and everything else long story short i picked up the book the late great planet earth (laughs) <laughs> and I bought it at Kmart. Yep. And when I saw it, it was a Christian book. I'm going, how dare them? How how could they sneak a Christian book in, in Kmart of all things? And, you know, it's going to be preaching this Jesus stuff. And I threw it in the corner. I wouldn't look at it. Now, I was married. I already graduated of college. I was working part-time as a metal sculptor with my own little art gallery. And I also had a job working three days a week. Uh, I would set up the work for people and then, you know, for the next day. And I remember in that shop, they had this little old extra special dark chocolate guy that would just always sing in. And, and what I couldn't understand about him being that extra special dark chocolate, there was a glory, a light emanating from him that just was amazing. 
-hmm. Usually in a shop like that, there's a nipping order, you know, an order of uh, a janitor's the bottom. So he's always going to get teased or messed around with. Nobody teased this guy. Everybody respected him. And I noticed that every Friday he'd go off all by himself. So I went up to Chester and I said, Chester, how come how come you don't eat with us on Friday? He says, well, you know, I'm an ordained minister and I don't eat Friday so I can get separate so that by doing that, I fast and I pray. And God tells me what I'm supposed to say on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Now, normally I would say, you know, that's crazy, but I couldn't deny this light about him. And I started asking him questions about the Lord. Now, he was he was from deep south, you know, maybe a third grade education. But, man, this guy had wisdom far above anything I ever, you know, knew. And he softened my heart. And I said, you know, whatever Chester does, I'm going to do. Um, he knows something that I need to know. Well, and it wasn't something. It was someone. Right. But he softened my heart. I picked up that book, Late Great Planet Earth, and almost the opposite of you, Dave. I picked up that book. I read it. It's so much of it made so much sense. Finally, there was some logic behind, you know, a lot of the things in the Christian faith. And I thought, my God, if they could have that much accuracy in this book about events today, I'm a darn fool not to say take his offer. Lord, if you are who you say you are, come into my heart, you know. Right, right. I'll, I'll live for you. I'll join your army. I'll be one of your people. And I cried for a half an hour, solid. Just all the garbage, all the crap was just coming out of me. And, man, I felt so clean, so different. Um, and it was right about – I had a plan. I had a plan that in five uh, five years after college, I would be running my own shop. Um, I knew how they teased me when I was in shop, so I, I would go into a shop, and I would say, okay, who's who's the best welder in this shop? And they would tell me. So I'd go up to that guy, and I'd say, look. I know I got a college degree and everything, but I'm not even going to pretend to know as much as you do. You're the best welder in this whole shop. Mm -hmm. I will be your knave, if you want to call it that, and I explain what a knave is. I'll be your slave, man. I'll go get your coffee. I'll do whatever you want. You give me all your secrets that you know. I want to learn from you. Now, first off, this guy probably never got respected by anyone before. And here's a guy who's a college degree, and he's asking me, and he's respecting right. me. You know what? That guy gave me everything I ever needed to, or wanted to know. And yes, I did go ahead and serve him. Why not? It was a perfect symbiotic relationship. I get to learn in three months what it took this guy a whole lifetime to do. Next shop I went in, after, after I learned everything I knew, I hopped over to another shop. Hey, who's the best fitter in this shop? I go to him, do the same thing. Next shop, who's the best layout man in this shop? Man, next thing you know, five years, I'm ready to I have my own shop, and then I get saved. And you know what happened? The Lord had different ideas and sidetracked all of that. But I love it because it was his plan, and it worked out. So I ended up pioneering the first Christian, evangelical Christian motorcycle club, and it was in Brightmore. So being a first responder, used to doing that, there was something else I learned from the first church I went to. Oh, I got to tell this. I went to a Lutheran church, my wife's church. Mm-hmm. Stand up, sit down, and also with you. Everybody struggled to stay a lot, uh, to stay awake. It was a, a very liturgical type, uh, you know, Catholics without the Latin kind of a thing. Right. And I had a hard time saying. I mean, I listened because I was hungry for the word, so I was just listening in with different eyes because I had the eyes of the Holy Spirit. So I was able to glean some things, but I couldn't understand why everybody was so bored with everything. And we had this one guy. He walked down the hallway. Hi, praise the Lord. How are you doing? And people would be like cockroaches, man, looking for a rug or something to hide into. Everybody usually loaded up into the bathroom when they saw him. 
I went right up to him. I said, man, you're different. I mean, um, how come? I mean, you know, I want to know how come you're so different than everybody else. And he laughed. And he says, "Well, this is my wife's church. I I actually go to Brightmore Tabernacle." And and uh, he said, "You know, we're gonna have a guest speaker to, uh, this Sunday. Maybe you'd like to come." And I said, "Okay, well, who's that?" Hell, Lindsay. Oh wow. What I? What I? Seriously? Oh, I had to be there. Hell, Lindsay, the guy that wrote Lake Great Pine. Oh, I'm gonna be there. It was a Pentecostal church. First time I ever went into a Pentecostal church. And like you, man, it's like, this is probably really, really weird. Some people are crying. Other people are, are, you know, have their hands up. And some people are talking this weird alien talk, man. What, what's going on with that? You know? Right. But freaked, it freaked my wife out. She couldn't get out of there fast enough. But I said, no, no, wait. I, I, I feel something good here. I want to, I want to, I want to hear him talk. So there was an overwhelming presence of God's spirit. Like when I felt when I first asked Christ into my heart, there was something real here. I didn't understand it, but man, I knew it was something real. Mm-hmm. And and I I listened and went through the whole thing. And then I met some young kid. He says, uh, young kid, he was a couple years younger than me. He talked to me and told me about this Shalom Coffee House, which is clear on the other side of town. But it was all the way he described it is like it was everything I ever wanted or needed. It happened to be a a fellowship that taught me how to do all of my studying, which is just a reawakening now of how people do it. We actually went with homework. We had tests. We actually studied the word and they were on a, almost everybody went to the university of Michigan. So they were all, you know, on that kind of a level, which I think for me, I, I needed that level. I was the old guy cause I had already been in the army and a veteran. I was like 23 years old. So I'm the old guy there and everybody else was pretty much 18 or uh, 19 years old. And, um, it was awesome because everybody had an opportunity to share the way they did their tests and everything. Nobody felt belittled. Nobody felt, um, you know, superior. Everybody respected each other because they all had an equal opportunity to share. They would say, okay, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and they would actually give homework out assignments and it'd be almost a joint effort. Well, I copied the way I taught in the King's kids the same way. And it worked well. Um, these guys, you know, a guy that, you know, could build a basket case, Harley Davidson out of nuts and bolts was trying to tell me, I can't remember God's word. I don't know. I've never been good at school. I said, no, listen, the word says it is his will for you to memorize his word. My word, if I hid my heart, that it might not sin against you. So you, if you can build that bike, you don't tell me that you don't have the intelligence to do that. I got all the people that ever went through our ministry had to learn 28 scriptures. They had to recite them and then they had to explain them. Um, we do. We had people that didn't even know how to read. I'd just give them a tape. This is the text of the scriptures we're going to do. Take it home, pray, ask God what he would tell you about that, and then come back and share what God told you. So from that to people that were had a, we had one guy that had a master's degree. Everybody appreciated everybody. Everybody saw and worked iron sharpened iron. This is what Mark Taylor's prophecy said that the, the small fellowships we're going to get back to that. That's something I knew and taught all my life in ministry. So when I had the bike ministry, and then when I jumped over to this kind of thing, it was in 1996. I was fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. Um, my gosh, I gave my first sermon on Genesis 6 paradigm in 1970. No, ni- yeah, 1979. And it was at that time, like Mark Taylor, I'm praying. You know, we had our place firebombed. We had our lives threatened. The Lord told us to change our patch from from our club identity and just simply put, he said, what is the main statement you're trying, we're trying to get across? Well, 
Jesus, the Lord, say you are Lord and God. He says, put that on your back. Jesus Christ, Lord and God, real big. Well, the, the trick there was that back in those days, they would have trophy walls, and it would be right behind their bars in the clubhouses. If they pulled colors from other clubs, they would throw them up there as a trophy. Right. So what a slick way. Ain't nobody going to put Jesus Christ, Lord and God, in their trophy wall to be reminded every time and convicted of. Uh, so they weren't going to touch it, man. It was for our own safety, and they didn't. And God protected us in spite of ourselves. You know, he, he had a plan that we maybe didn't see, but it worked. So long story short, all of that made me who I am today. I went from from my first ministry was a biker ministry. I gave my first sermon. I was 20 years ahead on the whole Genesis 6 paradigm. I gave my first sermon in 1979. I think five or ten people on the whole planet even understood anything of that at that time. And and I told my congregation, I said, someday, I'm too busy doing this right now, but someday I'm, I'm going to be put into this full time. It was exactly 20 years later. I was thrown into it full time in 1996. And I've been doing that ever since. Many of the things I wrote in my book have come to pass to a T. Um, now that I, we're at the end of the end and I see everything coming, my gosh, it is amazing. It is incredible. Yes. Most of our viewing audience, Dave, has a bigger connection to this. Why do I know what I know? I've been laughed at and made fun of, and I can't do anything with this. This is your time to rise and to be the army of God in these last days. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. You have a, it, it, your role that you, most of you are going to fulfill is so big. You can't be it. So you don't worry about a title or a name. Keep being yourself as long as yourself is conforming and complying to being obedient to God. Trust and obey. Yeah. And, and when you, and if you can't, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. To love God means to obey him, but to call according to his purpose, that's where we don't fully understand or appreciate the fullness of that scripture. Called according to his purpose literally means if you can't obey, then agree to let me work in your life. I will get you to where you want to obey. Mm -hmm. We have to let go to let him do through us what we can't do. So by doing that one simple thing, there's God's grace and mercy upon us. He will get us to hate what we're not able to do, whether it be a sin to overcome or whether it be an attitude, or as a pastor, sometimes you're dealt a, hand, a deck of cards, you're dealt a hand. Some of these hands you'd like to discard right away, but you can't because you've got to be the faithful servant. So Lord, I don't understand this person. I really want to lay knuckles on him, not hands. So can you please show me the way you see him? And he does, because I'm agreeing with him. So that to do in me, give me the love for him that I can't have on my own. Man, we start doing that to everybody and anybody, and it changes you quick. Because if you don't learn the easy way, you're going to learn the hard way. And the hard way is, you know what, if you don't understand, then I'm going to put you through the same thing so that you will understand. Right, right. And it's awesome. Yeah. You know, a number of years ago, um, when I was studying the prophets, I made a, uh, I made a comment to the Lord because I was frustrated because I was studying the Jewish people in the Old Testament and now here you got a, a, a nation of people that had seen miracles in Egypt had seen had seen manna falling from the sky quail falling water coming from a rock um, the whole nine yards and then even when they got into the land you know they, they defeated they defeated Nephilim and they were only little Jewish guys you know yeah. <laughs> and it was like how you know 
how can such a people that have been through so much just walk away from you and go into idol worship or just or just go away, you know, just leave you and don't ever ask questions like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, it's good because that makes a change, don't it? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't long after that that all of a sudden I noticed that I was listening to rock music again, that I was. You know, every once in a while, I'd go out and I'd, I'd buy a six-pack of ale. I never drank. I don't like drinking. I still don't. But I did it. Um, and then I noticed I was uh, one of my favorite groups was the Rolling Stones before I got saved. And and then I'm singing this song called Sympathy for the Devil. You know, and I'm like, I caught myself. and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, why am I acting like this? This isn't me. What's going on? And all of a sudden, it flashed on me. Remember that question you asked? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm showing you how easy it is for you if, yep. to, to fall away, you know? And and it was just amazing that I got the answer the way that I did. And right away, you know, I, I got rid of all the rock music. I quit going out, you know, and drinking from time to time with friends and stuff. And, and of course, they don't understand, and they, they kind of write you off again. So I had to live through that again. But um, anyway... Uh, I was while you were talking, I was I was brought back to to something that happened, and um, you remember when I told you that um, you and the audience that um, I was like, oh great God, you give me this this ministry, you know, and it's one of the hardest ones. Oh yeah, ones. Jeremiah, yeah. To you and, and people, yeah. you know, they try to throw you down a well and stuff like that. Anyway, um, you and I both had encounters with a with a certain individual, and we don't need to name names, but. Um, this person was very wicked and as to my knowledge still is, but, um, so one day the Lord says, I want you to write a, um, a letter for, from me to him and I want you to, to give it to him. And so I wrote it, you know, yeah, okay, that's easy. The writing part's easy, you know, and now, okay, now give it to him. And I'm like, okay, Lord, but you don't understand. And <laughs> Now that I think about it, you know, it's like, yes, he does understand. But anyway, I was like, this this guy has the power to ruin any ministry that I have, you know. And right away, I was attributing the ministry to me, which is a big, big problem right there. You know, that was there's no I in sin. I mean, there is an I in sin. There's no uh, anyway. Um, uh, so I, I put it off. And this it was probably back in maybe March that the Lord gave it to me. And, you know, and every once in a while, I'd, I'd get that little, you know, still small voice. Uh, you, have you sent the letter eight? You need to send the letter. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, next week, next week. Well, it came time to go to, down to Roswell. And uh, I can't remember the exact date of it. I got it called up on my screen here. Oh, it's May May 25th, 2007. That's when I, I wrote it. Anyway, um so he says, okay, I want you to print that letter out, put it in an envelope, and bring it with you. And I'm like, okay. And then all the way down, I was thinking of ways that I didn't have to do it, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe I can just forget about it, and, and it'll still be in my suitcase when I leave to come back home. Um, but anyway, um, so what what happened was uh, I, I really did not have an opportunity to, to get him alone and give this to them, but him, but uh, – uh, when I left town, I knew where his office was, and I, I gave it to one of his associates, which we both know, him and his wife. And uh, and I said, it's really important that you give this to this guy. You know, it's it's he needs to read it. 
and and he had gone he had gone to San Francisco or something I can't remember and, and it was like well you know that wasn't too bad <laughs> well anyway um it was it was the ch- chicken's way out basically um but anyway he did read it and and didn't agree with it I knew he wasn't going to and the lord didn't knew it too because he put that in the, in the letter um but anyway um I experienced quite a bit of angst because of this, you know, and it was, uh, you know, the Lord, when he, when he gives a word, it'll always be a dire word, but it always has a way out. He always provides a way out. Yeah. Always mercy and grace. Yeah. And, and the letter did that. It said, now, you know, if if you repent, you're going to get some of, some of what you had back, but not all of it, you know, and, and you're going to have to learn to work with others and be part of others and stuff like that. Well, of course it was rejected and, and I uh, went through two or three years of angst because of this. But um, in the long run, you know, and I look back at it now in retrospect, it, everything that that I was asked to write or I was told to write um, came to be, you know, and it continues yep. and it continues to be. And, yep. um, you know, so it's it's not an easy thing. It really isn't. It's a it's a very difficult thing. Um, I, and I know, and I were, I know where people are coming from because, you know, there, there are many false prophets out there, tons and tons and tons of false prophets out there. Mm-hmm. And, and we see them all the time. You know, um, you see miracle workers on TV that, you know, are frauds. You, I don't know if you've seen it, but Peter Popoff's back and he's offering his miracle, um, spring water again, uh, for healing. But, um, so and if you go to Elijah's list, you know, you see 15 different uh, scenarios for, for one different thing, you know. And, uh, so people have seen uh, false prophets. They've seen and read and everything else and probably had words uh, spoken to them by false prophets and stuff like that. So um, when you when you deliver something that you're supposed to deliver, a lot of times it's it's frowned upon. I'd say most of the time it's frowned upon. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times you're called a Pharisee or you're called judgmental. Um, and it's like, well, you know, I didn't want to do this, you know, I'm doing this because I was told to do it. And and now that you know, it's in your lap and you can do with it what you want, you know, but, um, so it, it, I think of all the gifts of all the offices, you know, that, that are listed and uh, I can't remember where the scripture is, but it's, it's the hardest one. It really is, and it's uh, and you, and you know, because uh, I think what did Jesus say that uh, you know that uh, prophets were torn apart? And maybe it was Paul. I can't remember. Um, you know, they were. Well, he says, in, you know, if you know the world hated me, they're going to hate you also. You yeah, know? I mean, they were sawn and sawn in half. Yeah. Uh, uh, look what Jeremiah went through. You know, just just him, and there's tons of other ones that. Um, if you look at most of the apostles, um, they, they had a prophetic gift. Um, died, died and martyred them. Yeah, all except for one, the one that gave us the book of Revelation. Revelation. Yep. Yeah. And um, I, thought that, I always thought that was interesting because he said, um, he said, I think Jesus said, uh, most. he said something to the effect where most of you are going to die except for one. And uh, he won't he won't die until he sees me return. 
And I remember reading that going, well, you've never returned, so this can't be right. Well, yeah, he did see him return. He saw it in, when he was writing the book. Oh, was on the Isle of Patmos, right? Yeah. He saw it in the spirit. Yep. And I was like, that was so cool. But um, Well, I've heard, you know, he's still roaming the earth today, an immortal man that pierced <laughs> you know, oh, man. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Go away. Go science away. fiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, science fiction, I love the way, you know, the way they um, – have to speak it out before they say it, and then they have to speak out an affirmation after they've done it. So if that's all you're following and you don't have the Word of God as a balance, you could drive yourself nuts with all of the, you know, once you realize that. Some people don't even realize that's what's happening. I remember I got ridiculed by, by one person uh, who I was warned ahead of time was a rather rude person, and boy, is he. But, yeah, I never say anything because, you know, by his actions and his words, it's he's going to be known. And you know, Jesus doesn't act that way. He was acting very un-Jesus-like. So, you know, anybody of the spirit could clearly see this guy was a jerk. But he was making fun of me because I was citing science fiction movies as as relationship to reality. Well, you know, the thing is, just on a plain common sense fact, uh, science fiction is yesterday's science fiction becomes today's inspiration for tomorrow's reality. Right. If we can think it, we're going to do it. And look at the Star Trek series and what kind of, you know, the whole idea of a uh, cell phone was inspired by Star Trek. Right. They worked on it until they developed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many other pieces of technology, the same thing. So, um, and then when you understand uh, the quantum physics factor, you have to speak it out. And, and so the enemy is imitating God by speaking out his things uh, into creation so that, um that's how they do it. Sometimes right in your face. Well, lately, just totally right in your face. But there was a time when they would encrypt it through movies and everything and and, and speak through that saying, OK, this is what we're going to do. Right. And then other places, it's this is what we have done. So it's it's an interesting thing where, well, it's why our show named Opposing the Matrix, because we are literally living in a matrix. It's it's a it's a Pinocchio world. It wants to be real, but it's not. It's Satan's fabricated image desire of what he wants real and he thinks if he keeps confessing it the real way and gets everybody else to confess this and eliminates god's people he's going to be god at his own game well oh, the word of faith so, movement <laughs> well i mean well basically um basically there's you know there is a secret in that but they've taken it way to the far extreme you know to where if you say something wrong you oh, i gotta cancel that out no you don't god knows the intent of your heart yeah. It says to let us confess our sins one to another. Well, how can we do that if we can only confess something negative? I mean, something positive. So, I mean, actually, you ha- you are allowed to state the present condition, the illusion that Satan has created in your life, whether it be cancer, whether it be an illusion of um, um, even a victim of circumstance. I'm, I'm broke. I got this emergency coming in. Oh, what was me? No, I got what appears to be an emergency, but I know the Lord is my provider. He's going to take care of me. So. I'm just trusting in him. Now, there is a rudder to the tongue, uh, the pen to the tongue, as Proverbs and and, uh, Psalms describes, that's going to create what you're confessing. Mm -hmm. So you can confess to the positive or you can confess to the negative. You say, oh, man, it's just not going to work anyway. Why am I even doing it? No, don't don't say something like that. Now you've just sealed yourself into something stupid. Right. Because you've got an enemy that says, oh, you said it. I'm going to make it happen. Um, I can do that. And he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the silly, uh, I've been a Lions fan most of my life. And in, back in 1956, there was a alleged curse of um, 
Oh, what's his name? Darn. The quarterback, the super quarterback. We we ended up letting him go after he was like a hero for three years in a row. Um, my goodness, senior moment. This is terrible. All right, well, you got me on. beat because I'm not a football fan. So no, I'm an I am horribly so. But but you know, but I'm also a bumping log. I'm the only guy that can go to a Lions game and still come out and not having laryngitis because I just don't react. Uh-huh. Um, I go to a concert. Um, I took my two kids; they were vaccinated, and I took them to a DC talk concert, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. But the, I was like the assistant pastor. The pastor, he's telling me, "Is this boring you? Are you having any fun?" Um, I said, "No, I'm, it's great. I'm loving it." And, he's, and he says, "Well, you don't seem like it." And my daughter leans over. She says, "That's my dad. That's just the way he is. I'm a bumping along. I don't react." to emotions and i hate i always hated that about myself two months ago i finally i said lord i hate this about myself why am i like this and you you didn't make anybody by an accident so why am i like this and the lord says you're bumping along all the time aren't you in every facet of society in every element of society you've always been a bumping along and i said yeah and i hate that why so i know you didn't make any mistakes why did you make me that way he said jim when you were in that everglades being stalked down to be killed what did you do? And then the light bulb went on. Oh, my God. When I, when I stood in front of my congregation after our clubhouse got bombed, and the next day I'm going to go talk to the bikers club that did it, and I, to warn them of the wrath of God if they keep messing with the King's kids, which is the name of our group. I didn't feel like this is something I wanted to run and do. But in every moment that I've ever been faced with death like that, and it's been a lot of times, I'm a bumping along. I don't react emotionally to the threats around me instead i immediately calculate who has to go where what has to be deployed how do i overcome this what is the tactics being used against me what do i do to exploit it i'm going to overcome this i'm going to see it through i strategize i strategize against the enemy because i keep a clue cool calm emotional non-response to the threats around me i start working on being the solution and letting me know how god's going to get me out of this Somebody has to be a general. Somebody has to be an officer. Somebody has to be the ground troop. Yeah. Um, my calling, that's why I'm a bumping log. Mm-hmm. Just uh, General Jim or you Captain be. Jim. You whatever, gotta be. You know, <laughs> you know when, when I, um, a few years ago, when I had a colonoscopy and again, the doctor came in and said, he was, he was real nervous. You know, when he, he came in, well, you know, he says, I did your colonoscopy. He says, and I found some polyps and I found cancer. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, you know, and he was like looking at me like, no, you don't understand. I found cancer. And I went, yeah, okay, so you found cancer. So what do we do about it? You know, and uh, <laughs> and I think I even took my wife by surprise, too. But um, and I'm like, okay, so you presented a problem. Let's not worry about it. Let's see what we can do to fix it. You know, I'm not going to, you know, worry does does absolutely no good. So, and in, in a lot of things in, in my life, I'm like that, you know, and, and, and I, th- and I got to say, it's not me, it's the Lord, because he's, he's brought me up that way. I used to be a worry wart, but now it's, you know, whatever happens, happens. I've had too many 11 and 11 o'clock and 59 minute experiences with him bailing me out to, to freak out anymore, you know? Well, and it's a growing process in a day. I mean, yeah. look, you had the H1N. And one from Mexico, from you and your wife going down to Mexico, you got it like the full force when it was hitting everybody really hard. Um, mm-hmm. Me, I got it a couple of years later, just, you know, half 
half force when it morphed down to more of a wimpy thing. But you got the nasty one, man. Yeah, and, but you uh, know what? It, it didn't manifest like like we, you know. And I was like, well, and and I wish more Christians would be this way, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, well, if I she's listening to our broadcast and she says. Was that Bobby Lane? Yes, my dear. Thank you, the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, no, but to live the Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If He lets me live, then I, I live for Him. If I die, I go to be with Him. You know, and, get more confident, don't you? Because you yeah. see, after time, God just, you know, He pulls through all the time. And and again, it's how we perceive it, and what do we confess? Mm-hmm. You know, that when I was in the hospital at one time, I I was getting a um, stints put in my heart. And uh, my doctor comes in and he says, where is everybody? And I said, what do you mean? He says, you don't have friends and relatives here? I laughed and I said, doc, you act like I'm going to die. And he says, well, this is really a serious operation. I said, yeah, I know. It's, as a matter of fact, I, I'm not worried about it. And I told my one buddy he didn't have money really to come all the way down from Lapeer down to here. I right. said, don't worry about it. I'll talk to you next week. And he yeah. looked kind of shocked. I said, look, I'm going to be around, man. He says, well, how do you know this? I said, well. God told me I got a few more things to do yet, and I haven't done them. Right. So, yeah. you know, I said, matter of fact, you're going to go into that office, uh, I mean, into the operating room. You're going to be surprised at how easy everything just falls right into place. There's going to be no complex, no problems, and it's going to be real easy. Mm-hmm. So after the operation, he comes in with all the nurses. And I'm thinking, oh, man, he's going to tell me something heavy duty. I mean, this is, you know, really bad, but I don't care. I, I know I'm going to be okay. He says, uh. That book you told me you wrote, you got a copy of it? We, we'd all like to have a copy if it's possible. <laughs> See, what a witness, right? You, you know what happened? And I'll tell you what. I gave him the book. He got saved. Cool. Very cool. And the next thing you know, he wants, yeah. he wants to, um, you know, it, from the book, he got saved. And then the next thing I know, now I didn't know this exactly until the next time I had to go to the hospital I was in. And a nurse comes in. And she looks at me and she says, oh, my gosh, you're that guy. You're that guy that wrote that book with Hitler on the cover. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. She says, I'm next to get your book and read it. And I said, what? <laughs> he says, he's got two copies on the fourth floor for uh, cardiology. And he gives one for the uh, nursing staff and the other for anybody in the patients that want to read it. Ah. I said, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I mean, the guy's evangelizing using my book up to – Oh man, that was, that just blew my mind. What a humbling experience. But then again, you know, I, it's, you grow into all of this, you know, it's just, right. It's, it becomes something you actually, we start expecting. I mean, like now look at, you know, being shut in and everything, man, I am praying. I I got a a prayer list. I'm getting other people. If you got people that are uh, front first line workers or have to, they go out in this, please Put your name on the list. We're going to keep everybody in prayer. We'll put my um, name on it. <laughs> um, definitely, yeah. I, well, that's what I mean. There's a way uh, Eric just went ahead and put his wife on it because he's got a situation. This is why he's probably not here. I mean, there's so much going on in his life right now that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, he's doing a good job processing and dealing it through, but the Lord knows. Um, there's just There are just so many needs. Uh, at first, when this first uh, happened, I started getting – in, in the entire English-speaking world through uh, Skype and remembering my email from, from my um, YouTube videos before I got taken out for hate speech. Um, 
all these people, mostly pastors, wondering, Jim, what's next? What should they do? How do we react? What, what should we say? And what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Fortunately, that lasted for about maybe four or five days. Now it's come to a low. Now it's everybody in my local area. Let's start a prayer team. We can't go out and actually physically put hands, but you know what? We can do like the centurion. We don't need to. God's authority can transpose. We just get out. So for the people that I've been able to come in first contact with, my uncle is one. It's incredible. He's 80 years old. He had three cancers. He had, uh, he was being taken out in all of this stuff under lockdown. He's been taken to, um, uh, the hospital. Mm-hmm. to check to see if he's got leukemia. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, three cancers at 80 years old and you're, what? Yeah. What, do you want to see how, how dead he's going to be or what? You know, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, so I, I told him, I told him, I said, Ray, I want you, as soon as we're done talking, I want you to watch this movie um, Mark about Mark Taylor's story. I said, I, th- I think it's going to give you a whole new sense of, of hope. And I said, and when you go, when you go to the doctors the next time, don't be too surprised if they're having a hard time finding the cancer that you don't have anymore. Right. I said, God is healing you completely, so that in our family reunion this July, we are going to have it on time. You're going to be a testimony for the rest of the family to see the miracle-working power of God that you're restored. Everybody, Dave, that I've prayed with, that I've had a chance to have one-on-one contact with, has been healed from all kinds of different things. One of them from the, from the virus. Mm-hmm. And it's just through the power of prayer and taking authority over it as a child of God. And you know what, guys? Audience, you have the same power. God is no respecter of people. I'm not special. I'm not anything but someone obeying what God has given me as a calling. This is my time. This is when I'm supposed to be that general and do what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, and it's awesome. And I didn't have to make myself conform to it. All I had to do is continue being me today, doing what is the right thing today because it's the right thing to do. And in whatever ministry I have, it's going to find me. I can't find it. I cannot make me into it. I just got to be me today and do what I have been doing. Mm-hmm. Because and it's for all of us. Just keep doing what you have been doing. Because yeah, just this cruise, cruise, what's, man. Just put it on cruise control. Yep. You know, I I have to laugh because I you know when I um I've always been overweight. Okay, as for, as long as I can remember, I think it's right after I got born again because Christians used to go out and like to eat and everything, and I started putting weight on. Plus, I quit smoking and drinking and everything else. But anyway, um. So I've always been a little heavy and, you know, I'll admit that I could lose 50 pounds. Okay. But, um, anyway, when, when I found out I had the cancer, you know, they, they set me up with a surgeon. It was a female and, uh, oh, you're, you're, you're overweight. And I went, yeah, I am, you know? And so it was funny because she would say stuff to my wife that she wouldn't say to me, you know, and I don't know if she was trying to lay a guilt trip on her or not, but, but anyway, one of the things that she said was, oh, you know, when, when I was taking that cancer out, when I was moving that intestine, removing that intestine, you know, there was, there was fat all around and I had to work around the fat and everything. And, and, and she was just, you know, totally, you know, being a jerk about it. Anyway, and I told the Lord, I says, you know, Lord, this, re- this really bothers me. And he said, you know what? Don't let it bother you. And I'll tell you why. And I said, why? And he said, Fat has no blood cells in it, no no blood. Um, I'm trying to say blood vessels in it, and if it was growing into fat, then it was there was no way it was going to metastasize because it can't. There's no organ that it was touching, 
and there was no blood vessels that it could send cancer cells into. So in, in essence, the fat saved me. <laughs> so, wow. so all the doctors that, you know, I, I tell this to the doctors now, you know, oh, you need to lose weight. Yeah, I know I need to lose weight, doc, and I'm working on it. I really am. But here's here's what happened. And I tell them the story. You know, I said, if I would have if I would have been skinny, that cancer would have been touching an organ and anything, you know, it would. Oh, where it was, it might have touched, it might have gone to my, my kidneys or my liver or something like that. And when you get that kind of cancer, you're, you're, you're basically a goner, um, unless they can get to it on time. But anyway, um, so I always say, you know, it's, uh, I might be fat, but it saved my life. <laughs> and, and the Lord knew that, you know, the, uh, and I'm not saying that the Lord wants us to, to be out of shape and, and overweight and stuff like that, but he knew that, he knew 20 years ago that, you know, in, in 2017, the, the cancer was going to come and that it was going to grow right around fat that maybe he even placed there, you know, and it uh, and it saved my life. So um, he can use the oddest things to, to save our lives or to, to, to save our testimonies or to or to uh, to show people that uh, that he's Lord and Savior and everything else. And. It's just, it's just amazing some of the things that have happened. I know in your life and my life and Eric's life and in, in the life of a lot of our list, the listeners that in our audience, you know, it's just, it's just, it's to- totally mind boggling. So when I, when I look at the news and I hear that, you know, that uh, the Democrats are doing this, well, you know what? The Lord told me a long time ago that, you know, a lot of bad things are going to have to happen before good things happen. You know, read the Bible, read Revelation. The world's going to turn into a hellhole before the return of Jesus. It's not going to be, it's not going to turn into a lovely place that you're going to want to stay in. Um, and a lot of people are going to be killed in the whole nine yards. So, um, you know, we got, we got to expect that bad things are going to happen for good things to happen. So when I see the, all the garbage that's going on politically that could possibly ruin this country, although I, I think that's going to go away real quick. Um, or I see, you know, the uh, the Muslims gathering strength over in Europe and in this country, which bothers me. You know, I'm not going to lie. That bothers me. But I know that all things work good to those who love the Lord. And I know that that all these things have to happen. And I think even Jesus said that he said, so don't when you see these things happen, don't don't worry. You know, and and um, he said something else about his uh his crucifixion that these things must happen that all may be fulfilled, you know. So when bad things happen, just know that he's Lord, that he's taking care of it. He's seen we, the end. He knows, right? Yeah. We have a sudden opportunity to shift gears and do something um, collective. One of our one of our listeners, uh, they're communicating to me through Facebook, um, but they're listening to the program right now. We have a person that I've been, I have put on the prayer list that I've not had a chance to pray directly with or about. Uh, Mike's wife, I need everyone to pray big. He is just about maxed out on vent. His O2 is having a hard time staying up at 100%. They're getting ready to do some kind of cardiac uh, or some kind of procedure, and there's a chance that he could go into cardiac rest. So we are going as a group, all of us, we're going to agree right now that 
his operation, there's going to be anything wrong. God's going to completely take control of this. And whatever his situation, physical situation is, it's going to be instantly healed as we pray. Can everybody believe me and, and trust that? Oh, We're going to do that. Yeah. All right. All right. Agree with me then. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Mike, you're going through this operation right now, and we just claim right now an instant healing. You are not going to have a cardiac arrest. You're going to stay your... Um, stats and everything to where it needs to be, but God is going further beyond that. He's going to fix and heal totally your body. You will not have this burden anymore. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over this life from the devil. We command you to go back to hell where you came from, because all disease in life is not designed for anything but our destruction, and we rebuke it, and we take authority over this as a child of God with the promises of God, because he is your child, Lord Jesus, and not subject to the uh, fiery darts of the devil. Especially not now, not at a time when it's our time to rise and make war against him, a spiritual war, a war taking away his rights, his authority, because he has no authority. He's an imitator and a mocker. So in the name of Jesus, I command you to be gone now from his body. And Lord, that you're healing him right now, even as we speak. You're restoring his body and giving him health and giving him life that he might be a bold testimony and a manifestation of the sons of God, which we are, and part of the army that you are raising. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Holy name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Wow. And that's it, man. Just step out and believe that yeah. it's going to happen, and he's there to make it happen. This is our time. This is our day to be the army that we were called to be, that we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's by taking the authority over it. We don't do it just with our intellect. We do it with the authority as a child of God, according to the promises in his word. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And this is the inheritance of them that put their trust in him. That means for everybody all time. Right. And I love that when you, when you look at the historical context of what was going on during that time, of history when Isaiah was told to go before the Philistines and prophesy this to them because they were boasting and bragging how they could easily just take their God in a box away and and do this well the thing was that that the Philistines had a shared they were the Philistines and the Hittites were kind of like the Canadians and the Americans they were like brother sister had same culture same God same everything including the same technology the Hittites were proficient in making iron and shared it with the Philistines so they both were in the iron age when the rest of the world was in the bronze age right now from my metallurgical and welding background I know that when a piece of iron is engaged in battle against a piece of bronze the bronze shatters like glass so they're sitting there holding pieces and parts trying to stab when the other guy's got a knife that can just slice and dice them into pieces. And yet, history shows the opposite. Mm-hmm. This isn't what happened in the battles. The Hittites were fighting the Egyptians. The Egyptians then was a, 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 hematic, a hematic black um, empire. Right. They, they kicked their butts so bad they said, oh, we're out of here, man. We're going to go up back to, up to the West Coast. And they went up and joined up and, and became, they joined and moved into the city of Ashkelon, the five-city fortification of the Philistines, and they stayed there. But then look what happened to them. They Every time they engaged battle against Israel, and mostly it was the tribe of Dan, they're fighting and they get their butts kicked. Yep. God knows how to preserve his people in his own for his own purpose and ultimate time. Now, um, one was against the, the children of God, one was against a, a, a pagan nation, but God spared them both. Because he's God and he's sovereign and he has a plan and he's always in control. 
I love that, man. We can think about that today with the coronavirus. Saved or unsafe. God has mercy on both. That's right. And, you know, you talk about the battles with the Philistines. Uh, we're, we're talking about a people that were, first of all, the, the regular Philistines were just uh, probably about you know five foot, five foot eight, six foot tall. And that was tall for back then. But we're talking about also people that were in league with the Nephilim that were alive at the oh, yeah. time. Because yep. Goliath was a Nephilim, and he had two brothers. That's why David took, I think he took four or five stones with him, I think. And um, so we're talking about not just, uh, not just, it would be like me and you going up against Andre the Giant and, uh, you know, and, and somebody else of that stature, you know. Um wouldn't stand a chance. Wouldn't stand a David, chance five, natural. Huh? I, I'm a towering five foot six. Well, I was six and a half. I got old. I lost a half a day. I don't know how that happens. I don't really like that. But at five foot six, I wasn't. I was going up against bikers that were six foot five. You know, I mean, it's right. like I've right. already been against Goliath. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, I'm just trying to, to help everybody understand that. You know, right. if right. they if you if they were able to go up against giants, so can we. You know. Well, Here's a wonderful thing I like. God uses work pictures and makes it so simple. I, in my book, I explain all the elaborate, who are the modern day, you know, Philistines, who's the modern day uh, tribe of Dan, um, you know, because there's a prophecy that Isaiah said that, that was specifically about the tribe of Dan and the tribe of, uh, or, and the remaining Philistines. And, uh, you know, after their whole God in the box thing and the, the, uh, moving it into Dagon's uh, uh, temple, and then Dagon is, you know, they wake up in the morning and Dagon's down before the God in the box. They pick him back up. The next day, Dagon's not only down before the box, but his head's rolled off on it. <laughs> they said, okay, uh, you two, come back here and pick up this God in the box. I mean, you know, we, we, we beat your butt, but, I mean, we don't know. Just come pick him up. Make him go away. Right. We don't want him anymore. Right. So, you know, so they did. But then they sent Isaiah and it says, rejoice not all Palestinians for the tribe that is broken off. You know, it's just cockatrice, a fire flying serpent. I go, whoa, man, something weird is going on here. What's going on? Right. So basically using Bible symbology. What he was saying in the, in the latter days that the one tribe is going to be used against you to extract from you. Something genetic for as a shell for the serpent to hide in. Now, here's the thing. The symbol of the tribe of Dan went through a lot of different changes, but it ended up being ultimately the eagle. Mm -hmm. And so the tribe of Dan, wherever you see the eagle, that's where And Dan, the tribe loved to name everything after itself. So you see this group of people that uh, were in Ireland because of the name of the oldest book there was the Tau de Danum, the tribe of Dan. Uh, they were surprised when they hooked up with the Danes. Um, because they had similar cultural beliefs and hereditary traits and everything. The tribe of the Dan's land from the Danube River was the Danish, the Danes. So um, there you go. So the thing is, one symbol was the the eagle. You know, the symbol for the, the Philistines, like you were saying, it was a genetic connection to the giants. Well, they came from the island of Crete. The island of Crete, those people, their legend says that they were from the Minoan uh, peoples who were the survivors of the um, Atlantis, which was the Great Flood. Mm -hmm. Their symbol followed them everywhere they went. And guess what that was? The swastika. Mm -hmm. So it was prophesied that when you see the eagle and the swastika come together, know that within that 
organizations, that structure, that government, they would begin to alter the human genome. They would actually, according to Daniel in other places, in Daniel 8th chapter, they would actually be given the ability to manipulate time and space. What were the Nazis working on? The eagle and the swastika coming together. The Third Reich was prophesied in the Bible. This would be the last group of peoples that would literally have the secrets of heaven scattered. They would draw it back into themselves and they would start practicing and exercising all these things. Our whole modern day everything on UFOs and aliens is just a continuation of the same activities that happened in the death camps there. Operation Paperclip brought all these guys over to our, our country. They never lost the war. They just moved and changed their address. Some of them went to the United States and worked from within. The others went to the Antarctic, mm -hmm. where there was a base that they had established there. Right. And now all of a sudden, you know, I mean, when I wrote my book 25 years ago, I was the biggest kook and nut in the world for saying this kind of stuff. Now you can't turn the TV on without all that stuff being on TV. Right. It's right. began to be common knowledge. I think that's, well, I never thought I'd see the day when that would happen. But I guess, you know, if the future becomes the past, the, the present has to be revealed. And that's a paradox there. If the future actually created the past, then now today has to be revealed for what it is. What is that? That people actually have the ability to manipulate time and space, and they've done it. And because they've done it, now we need to know what today, what we're really situated in. Now we need to understand how these secret knowledges were imparted to people because they're being used as a weapon against us. That's why God told me to name my ministry Echoes of Enoch. Because he said, Jim, your ministry is going to echo that of Enoch. Enoch was taken into heaven and shown all the secrets of heaven because it was being used as a weapon against the people in his day. Now you are in your day. You are now, I've showed you all of the weapons that the enemy has formed against mankind. I've explained them all so that now you can reflect the same ministry and explain it to everybody. It's my little museum is all about. I got answers to questions that most people haven't even thought to ask yet, but it's like the Center for Disease Control. I've got the answers if you want them. They're here. All you got to do is check it out. I'm not going to push it on you and sell it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to defend it. It's there if you want to hear it, and if you don't, fine. I'm happy, and I'm, I'm happy to plant a seed. Don't read their map. <laughs> <laughs> the city. Oh, thank you, Dave, for my goodness. Guys, everybody, listen to this. Last week's broad, was it last week's broad? Two weeks ago. Last I week or two? I think it was last, last week. Maybe last yeah. week. I think uh -huh. it was last week's. Last week's uh, broadcast, we talked about um, the CDC, and we talked about a scary element that was there, and we didn't understand why it was there. Because what that CDC was showing was that everybody was uh, recovering in the Canadian uh, countries, Mexico, where they boarded U.S., but in all throughout the U.S., it wasn't being recorded that anybody was, was recovering. Everybody was dying. We went, oh, my God, it's 100%. What's going on? Is this part of God's judgment? I mean, you know, it doesn't make sense. And I even made a comment to that effect on the, on the air. The very next day, all the information, because I, I even said, I kind of was mocking, mocking in a way. I was saying, you know, I can, I can drive three miles down to the Great River, and I can sit there and wave to a Canadian across the river, and he can wave back at me because he can see me. But you're going to tell me that he's recovering, but I'm not, even though I could blow kisses to him, and here's, here's the coronavirus, here you go. I mean, come on. They're getting healed, and we're not. Right. That's baloney. 
So the, the very next day, I go to the CDC map. Now, some of them, it'll say John Hopkins University. It's the CDC map, but John Hopkins uses that map. Right. Uh, so it's, but it's the same map. So I'm, we're looking at the map and all the information between the borders of Canada and United States, Mexico, United States, wiped out completely. Mm-hmm. Wiped out completely. There's no information at all. It's all blacked out. You, you can't push a button and find out anything. There's no information at all. Now, somebody in the CDC is a mole that was probably planted there from the last president or even beyond that, because it's both sides of the parties have their uh, global New World Order shills everywhere. There's somebody so powerful that they can make that say thing say whatever they want. Right. Now, I'm calling you out right now, dude. You think you're so slick. You are so stupid. I mean, I should see uh, be addressing it. Maybe you're a, a fallen angel, a Nephilim. We're born in the last days where we'd be coming across you guys. You look totally just like us, and you'll be able to sneak around and lead the whole world blindly to your new age, uh, one world, uh, globalist effect. Or you're a hybrid, or you're a human. And if you're a human, uh, fully human, then you have a chance, hopefully, of still uh, repenting and getting yourself right with God, because you, the created is never going to surpass the creator. Right. But I say all that to say this. Your time's up, dude. You're fu- you're found out. Um, there is coming a storm that the whole world's going to feel, and that's accountability. Mm-hmm. You think you're going to last here? You think you're going to, you know, come uh, with your contacts, whatever you have, and and come and wipe me out? Uh, me, Dave, and my whole family, and this whole listening audience, we got seals on us. We're protected supernaturally by our God. Yep. And I tell you something, my God's a whole lot bigger than anything you think you have. Come at me. I dare you, because my Bible says that you come at me, you're going to get seven back fold on what you think you're going to do to me. It's going to happen to you. Yep. Think about that one. That's you right. got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You are found out by your own stupidity, by letting us know that you are in complete control of the CDC, and you can make it say whatever you want. So everybody, I'm telling you right now, ignore whatever the CDC thing is. It's totally unreliable, 100% unreliable, until this shill is weeded out. And I'm going to say that probably I know he's going to be weeded out by October. You're going to get your little October surprise. Everybody's talking about October surprise. Well, you're going to get one. And so is every other uh, globalist elite because you ain't going to be around anymore. Right, right. And I'm speaking it out now in in boldness and confidence because I know what I've heard from God. This is our time now. We are going to make war against you, and you will not win. Now, there's coming a day seven years down the road. You're going to be able to have power to overcome us, but we overcome you by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and loving not our lives, even unto death. Right. We're in a win-win situation. You can't touch us. You know, that's just like, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy with the big old balloon pants and everything, he had that dance, can't touch me. <laughs> yeah, I can't <laughs> remember. I don't that's know those guys. Are. Yeah. Somebody, I'm sure somebody that's listening will type it in on Facebook or something. <laughs> but, um, you know, you know, it's it's already begun, Jim. Because and uh, kind of segue into this list just a little bit, but sure. um, there's there's um, and we can talk about it another time and more fully. But there's um, if you don't know, folks, there's a there's a drug that you make your body makes when you're scared or when you're frightened and when you're extremely frightened, um, your body produces adrenaline. And, uh, but it also produces a compound of that called adrenochrome. 
And uh, what the elites have found out is that, um, especially in children, that when you scare them really bad, you know, to the point where they think they're going to die, it really produces a lot of adrenochrome. So a lot of these kids that have disappeared over the years, they, they, how am I going to say this? They'll probably never find them uh, because they've been used for nefarious purposes. Um, and what the elites have been doing is taking this adrenochrome and they've been injecting it because it kind of gives you a high like cocaine does. Uh makes you feel like you're invincible, like everything else is okay. Well, anyway, um, supposedly uh, they, they can manufacture this stuff um, synthetically now. And one of the labs that was manufacturing it, it gets, was guess where? Wuhan, China. And so a lot of these elites now that have been using this uh, synthetic form of uh, adrenochrome have started to come down with uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, You notice that uh, people in Hollywood have been really quiet recently, haven't they? Um, Tom Hanks says that he has a COVID-19 virus, but I think that that's a whole that's a whole ruse and that other things are happening there. But um, a lot of. Rich and powerful people are starting to come down with this. A lot of people that are in um, the leadership uh, portion of uh, uh, different companies are starting to come down with it. One guy said that uh, the guy that was, I think it's Capitol Records uh, in Los Angeles, says that the disease seems to be attacking people that have um, eight or nine figure salaries, uh, which I thought was a really interesting thing that he said. But um, anyway, so... A lot of times what what the Lord will do is he'll take a weapon, like Jim was saying, that that they mean to use against us and that they, they take for, um, from innocent people and use for nefarious purposes and to get a buzz, basically. Um, he turns it around and he uses it against them. Okay. Um, so don't be surprised if real soon, uh, aside from what may, may happen in October or whatever, that a lot of these people start coming down with this and start just, you know, uh, starting to fade away basically from the, from the scene. Because, um, I mean, if it's one thing, if you pick it up from touching something on a surface and maybe scratching your eye, but if you're injecting it directly into your body, well, <laughs> um, there, there's no better Petri dish than, than the human body. So, uh, especially the bloodstream. So anyway, uh, we will talk about that some other time, of course. We'll go more into depth about how it's procured and, and exactly what they do to get it. But um, You know, the thing is there's so many vaccines out there, and some of them actually now they're wondering if one of them was contaminated. Now they're wondering if it was deliberately contaminated. But there's so many out there, and some of them uh, I heard about one that will react with some people's metabolism where it actually throws them into a total vulnerability to, for, you know, for getting the uh virus because it puts their own immune system it literally attacks it and makes it um weak so i mean there's so much junk out there but i think the bottom line is everybody if you haven't actually watched the movie watch the mark taylor story when we're done it gives you clear direction and understanding to have confidence that if if in fact god has his hand upon trump then whatever trump says i'm going to follow not on a blind obedience of following man, but I'm going to trust that whatever Trump is doing, he's being directed by the Lord. And so if he says, take this vaccine, I will take it. If he says, stay away, we've got another way of doing this. Whatever he says is going to be good enough for me. I am going to follow whatever he says because it's God's love manifested and expressed through him to us. 
you'll have the confidence of knowing that if you watch the Mark Taylor story. I don't, yeah, some of the other fundamentals, you might struggle over that idea, but believe me, um, if you get a, an open mind and a chance, you'll see that some of the things we know and what we're sharing is producing life from death. It's producing hope and not despair. Right. That is good fruit that cannot be denied. Satan isn't going to imitate that, not on a scale that that we're performing and moving in. These things are not part of the falling away. They are part of the outpouring at the final battle, equipping and preparing the saints with all the gifts. Each one of us can walk in them all and have them all. We may major on one or two in our ministries, but now our ministries include everything. Why? Because we're in a situation now where the devil's throwing everything he's got at us. We have to counter it with everything that God can give us. Please have an open heart, an open ears, an open mind to see and discern what is truly good and what is just bad doctrine on your part. Because um, I'm afraid that a limited edition gospel isn't going to be good enough. doesn't mean that it can't be used. You can certainly pray and you can believe in the power of prayer. But to engage in battle, you need all of the gifts because you're up against someone and something that's more powerful than you. It has to be God working through you, but you got to be willing to be open to that. That's right. Well, it's kind of like a meal, Jim. When you go to a um, when you go to a fancy restaurant and you get four or five courses, you know you can settle for the uh, for the dinner roll that comes first, or you could settle for the appetizer. But why would you do that when when you know that there's a there's a gigantic steak or a piece of prime rib with uh, with baked potato coming after it. And then after that, there's there's um, a yummy dessert coming after that. Why settle for just the appetizer when you can have the whole meal? When you was, can have the whole thing. Yeah. I always looked at it that way. You know, it's like, man, the, the Lord is the Lord is stretching out his table and he's saying, look, I've got this for you. I've got that for you. I've got this and that and this and that. Oh, no, that, Lord, that's okay because the steak isn't meant for our time. The steak was meant, you know, for back when when the apostles were alive and, and steak's not, you know, on the menu anymore. Well, I'm sorry. Steak is on the menu and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, metaphorically speaking, you know, and um, he would not leave us in this world without the weapons that we need to, to vend ourselves and to fight the, the uh, powers of darkness. Amen. And read Ephesians six for goodness sakes about the armor of God. It does not armor. It's a sword and it's a shield and it's, it's it's everything, you know, and yes, all those things can be used defensively, but they can also be used offensively too. You know, uh, the Lord told the disciples, He said, "Take take a knife with you and leave, not just one, but two. Because I was talking to a guy the other day, you know, we were talking about uh, pistols, and he said, he says, well, you probably never get a chance to use it, you know, but it's good to ha- carry one, and I, he says. He says, and I think it was like 75% of the cases where if you tell the person that's attacking you that you have a weapon, they'll back off. He says, and uh, another uh, 20%, if you produce the weapon, they'll back off. He said, it's only about 2% of people that'll keep attacking you when they know that you have a weapon and you're ready to use it. So uh, keep that in mind when the enemy's attacking. You know, if you don't have the weapons... (laughs) It's it's like those people that we're we're a non uh, what is it what is it they put it on the on some of the stores now we're a weapon free zone 
<laughs> just well, advertise, hey, I'm easy pickings. Yeah. You know, you think about you think about Peter. Uh, you know, he was told carry two swords. But look what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when he used it and whacked off that Pharisee's uh, ear. He got rebuked. Yeah, because he used it's like Chedge to carry matter. it, not to use it. Yeah, exactly. I was I was always amazed by um I somebody took a picture. It was it was hilarious and it said uh it was on the guy's lawn, it was a pretty big sign and it says, We believe in the Second Amendment. So you could try to rob us, but I'll let you know that the guy to, the guys on our right and our left do not believe in the Second Amendment. So, you know, you could uh you could probably have an easier <laughs> time going after them. Well he got sued and everything, but they found the judge found that he could have that sign on his lawn. You know, it was on his lawn, and he can advertise anything he wants to on his lawn. So I wonder how how many of uh, his neighbors went out and, and armed themselves after that. <laughs> yeah, really. But uh, there, there's a saying back east that uh, that a Democrat is a Republican that's been mugged. You know? <laughs> and uh, or a Republican is a Democrat that's Democrat been mugged. Been yeah. Yeah. yeah, I said it backwards. Sorry, but uh, and that's the truth. You know, a lot of people find out too late. Well, I'd rather you know, have the protection to uh, to be able to uh, defend off something before it happens, you know, and, and that's what the word of God is. Look when Jesus was on the, in the wilderness and the devil came to him and offered him all those things that the devil really couldn't even give him. But uh, actually, you know, he did have the title of the earth. So I guess he, you know, he, t- you know, if you want to split hairs, he, he could have given them. But, but anyway, um, and what did the Lord do? You know, he 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 used scripture each and every time to rebuke him. You know, and if if the Lord can do that, and He knows that His word is that powerful, how powerful is it for us? You know, Jim and I have worked many years counseling people about alien abduction. You know, and and we found, uh, and and it's and it's a proven fact that uh, even people that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when they use the name of Jesus, the biblical Jesus, mind you that these things get scared and they take off. Now, if you're not a Christian, of course, they may come back because they know that, you know, there's only a limited uh, limited time offer, let's say. Um, but uh, we, we've shown many times that when a person finally realizes that, hey, there's power in this name because of the blood that was shed by that person, that uh, Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach, however you want to say it, um, there's power in that blood and in that name and that these things, they know that that person is going to be the one that condemns them to the lake of fire. So you know that they're, they're afraid of this, uh, this person, Jesus. So, um, anyway, uh, oh yeah. So, so that's our ammunition right there with it, with alien abduction. You know, you cry out the name of Jesus, ask Jesus for help or say, get out of here in the name of Jesus. And these things flee. So that in mind, you know, there's an answer to, to, to it right there. If the name of Jesus works and is he, we know he's the word, he's the logos. So his word is going to work too. And he exhibited that by showing us that when, when he, when the devil came to him and tried to tempt him, um, those times in the wilderness. But, um, you know, a very interesting thing happened when, um, when we, I was counseling somebody one night, um, and, Back then, we used to get a lot of calls, and that's kind of ebbed off now, and there's reasons for that. But um, I had a lady call me up, or a woman. I don't know if she was a lady. She was a woman for sure. But um, And she said, it doesn't work. And I said, what are you talking about? The name of Jesus, it doesn't work. I've tried it several times, and they just keep, they, they won't go away when I say the name of Jesus. 
and I asked the Lord, you know, in my in my mind, I said, Lord, you know, what is she talking about? Is it possible that it doesn't work for some people? And I heard a little voice in my head say, ask her who she thinks Jesus is. And I said, ma'am, I said, let me ask you a question. Just, you know, I, I'm trying to figure this out. Maybe you can help me. I said, who do you think Jesus is? Oh, Jesus is the force of the universe. You know, he's the, he's, uh, you know, he's flesh and blood and he lives in the universe. And, and I said, lady, I said, here's your problem right here. You're, you're not using the correct Jesus to rebuke these things. I said, what you're doing in effect is asking, is it would be like a Jew walking into Gestapo headquarters and asking them to save them from Hitler. You know, I, I said, you know, you, and then uh, real quick, I said, the Lord impressed on me, give her the gospel real quick. So I did real quick. I mean, really quick. And then I heard click and she hung up on me. But uh, well, she heard it. At least she heard it. Yeah, she heard it. She's got no excuse now. But um, so we we have weapons that we can use. We Ephesians 6 shows us that the very words of Jesus show us that when he was tempted. Um it says several times in, in the letters that Paul and Peter wrote that we have uh, we have weapons and ammunition to use against these entities and and against like Jim prayed before he prayed against that uh, the malady that that person was having and the uh, the low um, oxygen uh, blood oxygen level and stuff like that and that uh, the doctors were saying that it might not might not work you know and and things like that well uh, poppycock. You know, we know it's going to work if we pray, yep. and Amen. and it will. It really will. And you know, a lot of people. I've I've heard people, Jim, say, and, and you know, in a, in a sense, they're correct um, that the ultimate healing is you know going to be with the Lord. And and yes, that's true. Uh, but you know what? Why not try? <laughs> why not try to to make a, make it the temporary healing? the one that uh, that works so that the person can possibly live out their life and accomplish what the Lord wants them to do, you know, and that's what you exactly what you prayed for. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, you know, the thing is that the Lord told me this is the time. Now, in, unless he puts me in check, otherwise, this is a time where everybody we pray for is going to make it. Everybody that we pray is going to be healed. This is going to be, this is, this is a war, a battle, an invisible enemy that has come and attacked us. Right. We can't see it. We don't know enough about it even. But we do know our authority in Christ. This is a time, God told me, to rise up and be the example for others to follow. Take authority over this. I've given you the authority. All authority that I have, I've given to you. Mm-hmm. This is your time. This is the manifestation of the sons of God. The manifestation means the fullness the full realization of the full potential that we have as an inheritance that God has given us as children. We're in the last of the last days. First off, I guess you got to really see that. Second off, you know, there's people still struggling. What about global experience? Uh, you know, we have a local um, um, apologetics teacher um, who has a program on TV. It's very well known, widely spread. And he still doesn't believe in anything conspiratorial. He'll he'll kick you off your program like that if you mention conspiracy. Well, first off, why? It's biblical. Revelations 13 verses 11 to um, thir- uh, Revelations 17 verses 11 to 13. And there are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they will make. Um, they will they will have power as kings and give their power unto the beast 
for they are one mind. Okay, there you go right there. That's a conspiracy. Ten people that are going to throw in their power to the beast. Now, the beast is a system. They're going to throw into their power to this system, this this thought, this idea, this behind-the-scenes government, and they're going to be in collusion with them because they're of one mind. That's a conspiracy. Now, you look at what happened at the end of World War II. The Nazis, through paperclip, came to the United States. They didn't lose the war. They just merely changed addresses. But at right. the same time, follow the money. Who were the elite that were supporting and funding Adolf Hitler? Oh, they're the same ones that are supporting the United Nations agenda. Why? Because the United Nations agenda is the Antichrist agenda. Uh-huh. And guess what? They've got the earth, the whole world, in their new world order. They've got it carved out in 10 sections. Right. Duh. Wow. You got 10 people that are investing, and the earth is carved down into 10 sections. Do you think maybe these are the people that Revelation 17 is talking about? Yeah, right. I think so. Uh-huh. Now, I've heard it be, oh, this is seven hills of the Vatican. It's a rock. Get out of town. The guy that wrote that two Babylons has been proven more than once. His his theology is as bad as Tim LaHaye's theology. Right. Uh-oh, I might have offended some people. I told you I was going to be politically incorrect tonight. <laughs> um, Tim LaHaye's good intentions of a um, kind of an Americanized view of, of the rapture and, and the tribulation period. Um, the devil's sitting there going, hey, this is so unbiblically sound. You want that? I'm going to give it to you. But you know what? I'm going to give it to you guys to make you look like you've been left behind, and you're the ones that are bad guys, and the good, the bad is good and the good is bad. So you want that? I'm going to let that happen, but it's going to appear to happen to you uh, that are left behind and not God. What do I mean by that? Uh, let's let's talk about this next year and see what kind of a discussion we're going to have on that one. I'm not going to play the Herald Camping guessing game of the rapture or anything, but I'm just saying that, that we're about to enter into a tribulation period, uh, the great shaking up. Um, back in the day, you know, there's so many things that have changed because situations and technology and and progressive understanding of events to how it fits into um Bible um, prophecy is rather complex, and it's always changing to adjust for the circumstances. What we both knew in eschatology, Dave, what we got saved through, um, um, what's his name? Um, um, Hal, Hal Lindsey's book, Lake Great Planet Earth, seemed to make a lot of sense 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, right. yeah, 40, some years ago, 45 years ago. Um, but now it makes no sense at all. Not really, not by today's current standings, because things have changed. Situations have changed. Some of the things that he had, you know, like he's saying that 200 million Chinese are going to cross the Euphrates River, and it's going to be as if a river would ever stop anything anyway. I never could understand that. Now I understand. The Euphrates means floodwaters, and it means melting. Where are the floodwaters melting? Mm-hmm. In the Antarctic. Yeah. The four rivers coming out of Eden, because, well, first of all, you understand, there's a hollow earth. It's really hollow. And Eden is inside the earth. It's not on the surface. That's why we can never find four rivers that ever fit. That's why a lot of things didn't fit. It's not over there. It's underneath the ice in the Antarctic. Um, and there's one opening that goes into that place. That's why, you know, new books coming out, you know, revelations that, all oh, the Nazis escaped to uh, Base 211, you know, New Schwabenland. And, and, yeah, I knew that 24 years ago when God told me. 
you know, and I did, fortunately, I wrote that down. You know, the Lord told me about uh, mercury vortex implosion engines in 1996 when nobody, and I didn't say anything. Oh, my God, no, I, that sounds, I mean, I never read it anywhere. Is this, are you sure? And I didn't say anything. Now, whenever God tells me something, you know, like uh, the Stevensville lights and the incident, what, what I'm seeing, God shows me, I blare it out right away, man. I want everybody to know. I don't care if you think I'm a kook because, you know what, five, six, eight years down the road, I'm I'm going to be proven to be true because I heard it from the Lord and I speak it out. I was shy to speak it out back then, but I've learned by error. When you hear what he says, put it out. It's a seed of thought. They'll laugh at you today, but tomorrow they're going to go, oh, oh my gosh, he was right. That's right. And that's what's happening now. This is a this is a year of accountability. This is a year of uh, uh, reaping and sowing. Whatever you've reaped or whatever you've sown, you're going to reap. So for a lot of us, this is going to be like heaven on earth. For some of it, it's going to be like hell on earth. For others, everything in between to whatever its uh, spectrum is. Um, for many of you, it's going to be a time, for many of our audience, it's going to be a time of um, recognition. Not that we need to be recognized, but we've been taught, you know, and told by everybody that we're, you know, goofballs, oddballs, uh, um, crazy, um, nuts, and we're not taken serious or respected. No, this is a day when we get a little pat on the back and go, you know what? You were right. I'm sorry. Um, that's not elevating us. That's getting a little bit of appreciation after suffering so long, um, enduring hardship. But now is your time of acceptability. Now all of a sudden they're going to go, you know, I'm glad I ran into you. I'm glad that I know this. Um, and I'm glad that I got a chance to know you, that you said this to me so many years ago. Now I know it's real. So it's an investment, and it is going to have a payoff. That's right. Um, that is so, so true. So I'm trying to find out. How do I find this, Dave? What, what am for? I looking for? <laughs> 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 yes, it is. It's pumpkin <laughs> Uh, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah, it's pumpkin time. Pumpkin time is Dave and I and, and Eric's um, code word for it's 1130. Let's wrap it up and go. Good night. Time. Yeah, it's only 830. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well, I'm the future, man. You're the guy stuck in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't hurry and get, get it over with. And when his gospel is preached to the whole world, then the end shall come. So let's just keep preaching the boss gospel and, and we'll help make the the thing end up. Yeah. To a conclusion. Well, one thing I want to explain to everybody is um about this program is that what I do when when I hit the stop button many times, and I'll probably get to it tonight. But what I do is um, I realize that for some reason, Jim, I uh, my voice does not sound as loud as yours and Eric's. Hmm. And not that I, I'm grandstanding or want to grandstand, but I, I, I want to make everything equal. So what I do is I, I run it through um, an Adobe program. Um, oh, yeah, so it raises up to equal? Yeah, it makes us all equal. I so. think it's that little bandwidth that you got down there in Oregon. You just don't have any good uh, well, heavy It works search. for everything else, but. Yeah. I think it's the program I'm using. But anyway, so folks, what I want you to know is that, you know, right now I might be sounding not too loud, but, uh, and, and even if you were to download or listen to the program uh, tonight, um, it might sound like the same way. But uh, what I do is I, I fix the file and I take the old one out and put a new one in. So 
by the, tomorrow this time, you'll probably be able to download a, um, a corrected version. I thought it take some of the noise out if I find noise and stuff like I'm that. I'm going to have to listen to this corrected version. I'll bet you he puts it through a mixer so he can sound like Ellen Allman or um, um, Paul, Paul Harvey. Actually, uh, nice. William, William, William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's me. I'm Captain Quirk of the U.S. Uh, of the Starship SS uh, Delusional. <laughs> I am. Oh, it's funny that uh, the uh, Tim LaHaye series has the main character is Kirk, isn't it? Yeah. Kirk Cameron. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think his name is Buck in the series, but uh, anyway, yeah, we could we could do a whole show on that series and just tear it apart. But I'd rather not do that because a lot of people still think that it's um, it's going to happen that way. And if that's what they want to believe, then uh, then that's you know let them. Well, you know, thank, thanks to knowing about um, Uncle John Trump, mm-hmm. I just I love it because that man. That gives, you know, God can work through the natural and the supernatural. And sometimes he chooses to use both. And in most right. cases, he uses a little both. And to give the man the right stuff at the right time and trust him with that because he's going to do the right thing with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a heavy burden to think about. If oh, sure it is. You know that a certain amount of a population is going to pass. And to know there's nothing you can do about it or you're intervening with the plan of God. And then knowing about it, but yet having to let it happen has to be one of the most agonizing things that could ever happen to an individual human being. And yet that's where total trust comes in the Lord. Some of us in the audience understand what we're talking about. Some of you don't. It's okay. You'll get it later because it's too freaky to know right now. If you knew the technology that we already have right now, it would blow your mind. Well, Uh, you you know. One good thing, Jim, is that uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, as of I think last Friday, uh, they merged the Treasury with the Federal Reserve. So oh, I know, isn't it great? Trump, Man. Trump is now the director of the Federal Reserve. Oh <laughs> boy, there's something that's so, doomed to fall. We're going to go back to He's, a gold system and everything yes, else. Yes, we are. Gold standard. We won't owe a debt to the Federal Reserve you know, anymore and, because he is the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here clapping and rejoicing because you know the Federal Reserve is going to die. And uh, we're going to be put back on a gold standard, which means that the uh, the elite that was planning on having their transitional monetary unit from um, from a cashless society to to um, any kind of a, a transitional currency, they were saving up all kinds of dinar and getting offshore um, uh, bank accounts, loading up with this stuff and special 800 number that the Nazis, almost like a Nazi trick they did, so they could find out where everybody's money was and right. you would have an accident based on your health uh, record. Um, it's all monopoly funny money. It's probably never going to be worth nothing ever at any time. Yeah. So we got stuck with it. Fortunately, yeah. mine was donated to me. But uh, Well, the best part about this whole thing is that he's working with the Chinese and the Russians. So the three biggest economies in the world, uh, are, are working by together. The way, we're never apart. Those three big economies were never a part of the um, Federal Reserve System. Right, right. So well, they were on the outside of that anyway. Yeah, yeah. that's slick. Well, that is so cool. My 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 day, my happy day is when I hear that George Soros has been arrested. Um, that that'll be the day that um, I will take off of work. I will. I will throw a big dinner at my house and um, 
and and just enjoy and savor that. My is I I so want to make an election button already, but I I can't do it. But I want to. Um, I am though. Um, when they discover who Q is, and there's yeah, so much conflict. John. John. <laughs> oh man! God says in His Word that He looks down and mocks the efforts of man's rebellion to to um, overturn Him. Yeah. And that is one ultimate mockery. Yeah. To see a, an election button that says. Trump slash JFK. Because, you know, you can't call him JFK Jr. now. He's JFK Sr. because Sr. is gone. That's right. That's right. So it's Trump, JFK. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, you know, and I'm not saying let's say if this is what it is. I'm saying based on some information that's available for anybody to do the investigation on, wow, it sure makes sense. It sure seems to fit into the plan of things. I hope it's that way, and if it's not, I'm not losing my faith over it, and I'm not no. telling anybody this is absolutely what it is. I'm saying it could look like that, and if it is, it's rather interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, on that note, uh, Great Pumpkin, um, yes. maybe we should wrap it up. Uh, yeah. You want to give a closing prayer, and then we'll say goodnight to the, All right. our audience? Lord, we come before you. I pray that everybody will remember to look at the Mark Taylor story and that by your spirit, you will inspire and show to everybody your plan, your authority, and you've got everything in control. And then we have nothing to worry about. If we can trust what you have said through your church, I pray that you'll give everybody hope, you'll give everybody confidence, Lord, that we are not blindly following Trump, but we are following Trump because the Lord is behind him, and through him, we're getting the expression of your love and provision for us. And, Lord, I trust that, not because of the man, but because you have spoken through your prophets. Your prophets have been true, and it's for our benefit. So thank you, Lord, that you got everything in control. We don't have all the details. We don't know everything exactly what's going to happen, but we can have our dependency on you that it doesn't matter. We just keep being who we are today. As long as that doesn't conflict with your word and conform everything to your word, yeah. we're going to win. We're going to be that army you've called us to be. We're going to be fully equipped. The officers are going to be ready to dispatch to the 144,000, the 144,000 to the entire body of Christ of the whole wide world. And we'll be in union and we'll be that army that you've raised us to be. I just thank you and praise you for that, Lord. I pray that you'll give the revelation to everybody, that they'll see their part. And just enjoy and relax and sit back and know that you've already approved them because you see them as such, and that's what they're going to be. And all we have to do is just be ourselves, remain calm, remain determined and unmovable to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, y'all. Have a good week. Hey, and we'll talk to you next Monday. A little, little sooner for me, I'm going to try to have a something set up. Um, probably on Fridays sometime. It'll be live from the uh, museum here in Detroit. And I'm going to try to move everything into the museum room so we can do the actual broadcast there. It's only going to be like a 10-minute sermonette. It's just going to be brief on just one little item or or note. I think um, the first one I'm going to do is on uh, a little artifact that I've got in my museum called a blob of brass. And it's just a reflection that's going to be on our on the backstory on this little blob of brass is amazing. But each one of us, when people take time to understand and see you, you're just like that blob of brass. There's so much more to you 
when people get to know you. Each one of us is unique in our own way. And we all have a very unique backstory that can make us deeply appreciate what God has created in you. And this is how iron sharpens iron, because as we look at ourselves in that way, that we can see others in the same way, that there's something very unique and very valuable if we take the time to learn about that other person. That's right. So that's going to be tomorrow's uh, or next week's sermonette. So I don't want to get too much into it, or I don't have to do it at all. I just mm-hmm. did it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so good night, everybody. God bless. Good night, y'all. God bless. <laughs>